Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Robin McCutcheon, economics professor at Marshall University, joins us again. Her website is linksync.com, L-Y-N-C-S-Y-N-C.com, and we talk about a variety of issues, as you might imagine. So without further ado, here is our conversation. So where do you want to start today? Well, I'll tell you what. What do you want to start with? G- give us give us the Marshall wrap-up. How, how did the year wrap up? Um, how did your entanglements with the administration pan out? And then, again, I, I saw some notes you sent me here. I, I think you're right, 100% um, regarding the you know the upcoming school year. I mean, even though this one is over with, after the summer, you know, summer's going to blow by, and then... How many, how many students are actually going to return given the high cost of everything? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I took, um, I began taking informal surveys of my students when gas prices hit four bucks. I mean, when they got to the high $3, I started seeing vast quantities of students not coming to class. And it, and it wasn't because, you know, the semester is getting long, students are getting tired. I mean, we all go through that, but this was this was abrupt and sudden, and not because I keep track of my attendance over the years. This was far sooner in the semester than this us- the usual drop off of students happens. So I began taking surveys of students about gas prices and is it affecting their ability to get to class. And I found out, and you won't be surprised about this, but I found out that the majority of students who were sitting in class either lived on campus or quite close to campus. The people who lived probably farther out than 15 or 20 miles, weren't they weren't driving in for one class. I, I had a few students that might have had two or three classes on a day and they would drive in for that, but they, if for one class, nope, they weren't doing it. So that's telling. And I, I don't have in my head the day that um, retail gas prices went up over 375, but I think it was quite close to the middle of um, beginning of March, middle of March. I know not, not past the middle of March because right before we broke for spring break on March 11th, gas prices that week had tipped over four bucks. So call it, call it the beginning of March. And students, my student population in my classes, I'm still probably holding pretty close to 60 or 70% um, attendance in all of my classes right up until about spring break. Right around spring break, that's when students, they go off for a week and they sit on the beach or whatever they're doing and then they go, oh my God, I'm tired. <laughs> but this happened way sooner in the semester. And um, and so the, the poll that I took among the students as gas prices were rising above $3 just before they hit $4. They, it was almost like somebody thunked them on the head and, and, and they, they all of a sudden woke up and went, hey, wait a minute, gas prices are over three bucks. How the hell did that happen? And I'd look at them and I'd go, well, gee, I don't know, inflation maybe? Because it wasn't Putin. Putin didn't invade Ukraine until February 24th right around there yeah and gas prices were already headed up they were already well beyond two bucks a gallon so um when i when i began asking students oh like two weeks before spring break so 
you know, beginning of March, and I'm I'm asking them, hey, what are you going to do for the fall when gas prices are over four bucks a gallon? And they'd kind of look at me like I'd lost my mind. And and I kept asking, what are you going to do? What do you, what's the plan? What's your plan B? And then finally, after gas prices had been stuck over four bucks a gallon for about four weeks, they finally finally said, I don't know, I don't have a plan. Okay, well, maybe you should get one. And um, and in the meantime, you know, I'm I'm sitting looking at the market like I always do every day, and and I use um, my my forward indicator for gas prices is a thing called RBOB R B O B. It's the wholesale price of a gallon of gas, and in our area where we're at. Um, the retail price of a gallon of gas is about somewhere between 70 and 75 cents above RBOB. So when I look every day at RBOB and I add my 75 cents, I'm a little bit higher probably just to be on a conservative estimate. And when RBOB got to 225, you know, I'm looking at that going, okay, there's three bucks a gallon. And that, and, and so I told my, uh, one of my classes that has to meet, it's a required attendance, I told them that I was going to put into place a plan B and and we would we would institute plan B when gas prices got to four bucks a gallon so that they could get their attendance points without having to drive in because I had students driving in from Parkersburg and way out Wayne and two hours away and you know, that, that's that's undoable for, for a student on the budget that they have. So I already instituted a plan B for, I called it gas prices are outrageous. And um, and I will continue using that into the fall. Um, but the thing is, nobody was talking about this. I didn't hear the students say anything about any other professor even conscious of gas prices above four bucks a gallon. So um, at the end of the year, at the end of our uh, at the end of our semester, I asked the chair of our department, what's the university's plan B for when we get to the fall and gas prices are still over $4 a gallon or higher, five bucks a gallon? And he says, oh, gas prices aren't going to go. The gas prices aren't going to go higher. And I looked at him and I said, what universe are you living in? I've been paying four bucks at the pump. Right. And he says, well, you know, most students live around here. And I said, says who? Only about 15% of our students live on campus. And and I'll bet you anything, maybe, maybe another 20% live in the Hunting, Huntington area, Huntington, Barbersville, South Point, you know, just draw a little 10 mile circle around Huntington. And that's where probably another 30 or 40% of the students live, well, that still leaves about half the population of students that has to drive more than 20 miles one way. That gets expensive. And, and he says, they do? <laughs> wow. And I, I just mentally slapped my head and thought, and this is going to sound unkind, but I thought, what a nincompoop. <laughs> I mean, come on. Can, can you just pull your ass head out of your ass for a few minutes and look around and see what's happening so I, of course I didn't say that I just looked at him and I said I have students who are driving 30 minutes an hour two hours one way to get to class and they've already told me they're not going to do it they can't afford to drive yeah. because the gas prices are so high 
And I said, so I want to know what the administration's plan is for the fall semester. Can we go back to virtual? You know, because you, you, you go ahead and you ignore this and you're going to have a significant number of students drop. They won't even come. They won't even sign up because they can't afford to. And then he looked at me and says, well, they can get student loans. And I, and I thought, oh, they're already in debt up to their eyebrows. You know, they're just, no, they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. About an hour later, he came up to me and he said, he said, are you really serious about, you know, we need to have a plan B for fall for high gas prices? And I said, I said, well, no, you could ignore it. You know, I, I'm going to, I've already got a plan B. I've already instituted my plan B. I tested it out on students this semester and it worked great. So that's what I'm going to do. But you know what? I think that I think somebody over in administration ought to pay attention to this a little bit anyway. And and he says, "Well, I'll 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 mention it." I said, "That's good, excellent, thank you." No, he won't stick his neck out. He'll get his head chopped no, he off. <laughs> yeah, you're wow. right. He won't stick his head out. But that's okay. I've already got a plan B. Um, and and I'll I'll institute it right from the get go because I don't see gas prices coming back down under four bucks a gallon. We'll be lucky if they're if they're under five bucks a gallon. And so here's the thing. So remember, I come from Detroit. Detroit is the auto capital of the world, or at least it used to be. And in the um, in the, the spring of 2008, in April, when gas prices started creeping up over. I think in our area, they crept up over $3.15 a gallon. And one of my uh, com- um, colleagues in the PhD program actually worked at Chrysler. He was an, a- an analyst at Chrysler. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, Jonathan, I said, what are the car companies, are they thinking about going back to smaller cars now that the gas prices have crept up, crept up over three bucks a gallon? And he said, I don't know. I said, let me find out. So later he pulls me back aside. And he says, guess what? He says, he says, the car companies actually know the price, retail price of a gallon of gas that tips the economy into depression. And I said, really? What's that price? And he said, three seventy-five a gallon. Huh. Hmm. And, I, and I said, what? So what? Are, what's the data on, on what the uh, what are the what are the analysts at uh, Chrysler and GM and Ford thinking? He said they know it's going over four bucks a gallon. He said right now, and remember this is April 2008. He said right now we have 120 days of cars sitting on the not sold lots because when the cars come off the um, the line, if they're not sold to a dealer, they go sit on a, a wholesale lot and he said usually we keep it's normal to keep between 30 and 60 days worth of cars on these lots that's normal he said we're at 120 days and I said wow and then several weeks later as gas prices tiptoed up towards four bucks a gallon he pulled me aside and he said just wanted you to know we're at 180 days and I went oh my god and he said and I and I said so what do the analysts say how soon do we tip into depression once we hit that 120 to 180 days of cars on the lots? And he said, 
Oh, it's about six to eight weeks. So I knew all of this, right? So I started telling my students, you have to, you have to pay attention because, you know, once we hit 325, 350, and I'm, and I'm kind of lowered the price because in our area, the, the average, um, salary, annual salary isn't above 50,000 a year. So you have to lower that gas price to accommodate for the lower wage base around here. So, you know, when gas prices got to 275, I tell students this little story and I said, we have to wait and see when it hits 325, 350 a gallon. That's when we know we are, we're, we're somewhere between six and eight weeks before we get into a recession. And I, and I was saying that, let's see, when did we tiptoe past three bucks? The beginning of February? middle of February I can't I didn't write it down so I don't remember but it was sometime right around there well call it the beginning of March six to eight weeks from the beginning of March is right now right now and on Friday the gross domestic product estimate for the first quarter of 2022 was we were minus 1.4 percent now the Federal Reserve thought conservatively we might be down um, four tenths of one percent. So they missed it by an entire hundred basis points, idiots. And sorry. Yeah, you're I, right. These, these guys are astonishingly, astonishingly inaccurate. And so GDP doesn't slow down. Somebody slammed down the brakes. We actually went backwards. And so, being an economist, I know that we declare a recession, the economists declare a recession when we have gone six months or two full quarters with GDP that's slowing down. We didn't slow down, we backed up. So, you know, in three more months, May, June, July, so, right, no, April, May, June. So at the end of June, if these gas prices haven't come off of their $4 tops, we're gonna be in deep, deep, really deep doo-doo I mean I mean up to your eyeballs doo-doo you know here's another thing too I wanted to ask you about and this was something that I just came across this morning um you may recall a number of years ago in fact I would go I would say it was somewhere around 2008 if not after that a little bit um remember how car insurance companies would well, I think Liberty Mutual was certainly one of them. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that most of them did it, but it was a device that you would plug underneath the steering wheel of your automobile and it would track the amount of miles that you traveled and then they would promise you some kind of a discount. Do you recall that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they still do that. Right. Apparently, nice, nice little way of spying on you. It, it, exactly. If not, if not uh, sort of taxing you in some hidden way. Um Right. Based on all of this cost, I, again, I came across this this morning. It's from the Western Journal. And it's uh, it, it says that hidden on page 508 of the infrastructure bill is a plan to make it too expensive to drive a car. Right. And basically what they're doing but, is essentially that. They're going to be taxing individuals based on how far they drive. Sure. Which, of course, will yeah. keep them from driving. Right. Well... So, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, um, how about just a plain old realist? Way, way, way back in 
what was it, 1991 or 1992, when George W. H. W. Bush, the first Bush, came out and said, you know, we've we've got a real good chance of making the world go the way we want and creating a new world order. They, um, the World Economic Forum, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the UN came out with a plan. They called it Agenda 21. And one of the highlights of Agenda 21 was that people would be living cram-packed into cities and no one would own cars, except for people who were really, really wealthy. So what faster way is there to get people out of their cars and moved into cities, but to make gas prices so expensive that only the very, very wealthy can afford to drive them? Yeah, and again, I mean, they don't have to tax us. They can just make it, they can just cut off enough gasoline and refining so that there's very little gas, so the supply of gas falls. And when the supply of gas falls, the price goes up. And that's exactly what Biden did the day that he got into office a year and several months ago. He he canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He made it he made it vastly too expensive for refiners to. Um, refine oil into gas and he shut down all the drilling all over the country so so this is not like this is an accident it's not this is totally on purpose this is meant these actions this administration has taken are meant to destroy us economically i mean look at what um what's what's this lady's name uh samantha powell who is the U.S. AID chief, she told George Stephanopoulos on ABC just over the weekend that, um, let's see, what did she say? She said the global consequences, that she's blaming it, they're blaming it on Russia, the war with Ukraine, but the global consequences that fertilizer shortages would provide farmers the opportunity to hasten their transition from fertilizer to more natural resources. Never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah. You know, so um, so the fastest way to get people out of their cars and not driving them is just make it too expensive to drive. And we know, even though the country moves on automobiles, all of our, all of the stuff that we buy at the stores is moved by truck. So it's not really the price that we're paying for gasoline, it's the price of diesel that the truckers are paying. And, and you know, so as the price of our gasoline goes up and as the price of diesel goes up, there will be truckers who will park their trucks because they can't afford to deliver the, the, the goods that they're hauling. So, you know, so as uh, the gas price, gas is like um, gosh, I, I hate to sound, you know, kind of doomy, but, but gas is what makes our economy go. It's the energy that allows our economy to grow. So if the energy is more expensive, at some point the economy doesn't grow, it starts shrinking. And that's exactly what we saw happen in quarter one. Prices are going to go up because there's nothing that the Biden administration is doing that will hasten the increased production of more gasoline or diesel. 
It's on purpose, Sean. It's oh. meant to destroy us. Yeah, yeah. In fact, th- this um, this business of tracking your mileage and taxing you, it, it turns out this post was is approximately a year old. Mm-hmm. I guess this dates back to uh, August of, of 2021. So I think it was some kind of a rollout program, but it's evident that that's what they want to do. Um, oh, yeah. Getting, getting back to the students just briefly regarding tuition costs. I mean, sure. when, when you take into account, again, the fact that they don't want to drive to class because it's too expensive. And frankly, they probably just don't want to spend any money anywhere because it's too expensive. Um, there's no way that with lower enrollment, which is exactly what has to be happening, again, not just at Marshall, but everywhere, that, uh, th- I mean, there's no way that they wouldn't raise the tuition cost in order to attempt to make ends meet, so to speak. So, you know, ha- have you noticed anything or have your students said anything about increased tuition? Well, there was an announcement that went out, oh, a couple of weeks ago. It was just sort of a quick blip on one of our local news stations that the Marshall University tuition would be going up. I, th- I think it was something like 4%. It was wow. some small number, but then they're going to increase all the fees sure. significantly. So, you know, for so the students are going to be paying more, hands down, all the way around. And, um, you know, one of the, we, we got a new president here at Marshall University, and um, <laughs> he, he, he had what he calls listening tours all over campus. I think he had something like 96 Uh, times where he took time out of his busy day or week and he met with faculty and staff and and students and parents and, you know, lots and lots of times when he sat there and just listened to people gripe. And and it turned out that uh, one of the big gripes that professors had was, well, you know, when the pandemic started, we all got our salaries cut. And, and the more you made, the bigger the cut was. And, hey, we, can we have our money back? Especially now that, you know, gas prices are going up and inflation is up at 8.5%. Yeah, try, try more like 30-plus percent. But anyway, so we got an announcement from him that our salaries would be reinstated. Well, that's great, except that that's not going to cover the cost of the inflation that we're seeing now. That's awesome. Um, so the student, student tuition is going up. All of their fees are going up. Um, nobody on a, on a fixed salary is going to, it, it, there's no way that that salary, that salary is not going to keep up with inflation, especially the higher gas prices push. So, so as far as I can tell, um, the president was slightly aware of what was going on when he met with the College of Business faculty. I, I made it a point of of stopping and greeting him, and asking him what the administration's plan was for when inflation hit thirty percent. And he looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah. And I and I thought, well, you know. So mentally, I shrugged my shoulders and I just went, okay. So here's another one not listening. So, so we're, you know, we have, not every professor lives right in Huntington. Some professors live quite a ways away. What happens when they figure out gas prices are so high they can't afford to drive in? 
it's not going to be just the students who are who are not driving in. Professors will stay at home and reinstitute virtual learning on their own and flip the middle finger at administration and uh, claim their academic freedom from Title 133, Series 9, academic freedom, and say, tough, tough luck. I don't care if you called this a face-to-face class. I can't afford to drive in, and my students can't either. So this is how we're doing it. The cost of living, the student housing has got to be exorbitant. I mean, there's... I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it costs a student uh, to be in their dorms. But, okay, so let's let's put another layer of the onion on this. So well, 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 the what tuition, we do, well, hang on. What, what we do know is there's no, there's no way they're lowering that cost. No, that's right. That's yeah. right. Student, student um, on-campus uh, room and board is going up. We've already had the notification from the one company that is allowed to supply... Uh, feed the students and and run their little cafes and such so so we know the food is going up it has to go up right it has to go up because we're paying more at the grocery store they're going to be paying more for the wholesale costs of the food that they buy so we know that the food prices are going up that the students are going to have to pay for their room rates are going up their tuition is going up their fees are going up and the gas is going up so I had a student come to me towards the end of the semester, and she was really worried. She goes, I, I live far away. And she, and she says, I can't afford to live on campus. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm searching around for ideas. And I said, why don't you have your parents buy a, a house and rent out several rooms, and you live there and be manager? She's like, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Yeah, assuming her parents can afford to buy a house. Uh, okay, well, there's there's that assumption too, but I'm pretty sure banks are loaning money for, you know, five or six percent with little or nothing down. So, you know, there's that. It's, yeah, it's it's just not it's not a and I hate the word sustainable, but it's it's not a <laughs> it's it's not a business model that's going to last. No. No, it's not a business model that's going to last, and um, and they don't get it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're they're driving, I, as I've said on the podcast a million times, they're driving their own business straight into the ground, and they have no idea. No, they don't have a clue. Maybe the only saving grace is that the the guy who stepped into the presidency at Marshall is a former businessman, so he's at least got a couple of brain cells. You know, he's not an academic, and uh, people are really worried about that. And I looked at that and went, whoa, what, whew, dodged, a, dodged a, a curveball there because at least this guy's got some business sense. Any old academic, you stick him in the presidency's office, and, and he's just going to screw things up even worse. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he has no business sense. So, you know, maybe we dodged a bullet on that one. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. As you know... These universities are great, big, gigantic, humongous, slow-moving sloths. You know, they don't change very fast, and, and uh, there's lots of little fiefdoms, and nobody wants a fiefdom to go away. So, I don't know. I think that we're, I think, again, I think that we're seeing something that maybe you and I had both hoped for, and that would be a change in the education system. You know, when we were talking back in 2020 and all the schools had shut down, 
parents found out that their students through Zoom virtual learning were, were uh, being fed all of this CRT stuff. And so parents started yanking their students out of school when they went back to face-to-face. Their parents were like, nope, no thanks, I'm not putting my students in school. And so now what we see in the public K-12 system is now they're really hurting because they don't have the headcount to get the, the federal money. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was a school in West Virginia, oh gosh, I think it was somewhere in Kanawha County, that said, we've got to, we have to eliminate 62 positions in their school system, most of them teachers, because we don't have enough, but the, we don't have enough money, the students aren't going back to the public schools. It's going to collapse. Uh, the the administrations and the teachers are begging parents to send their schools their their students back to school, and parents are like, no, because you're going to teach them crap. I'm not doing it. So, so if you ripple that up into the university system, the university system is going to collapse as well. But this is something we've wanted because the K twelve system all the way up into the um, state-funded universities, all of those schools, even a lot of private ones, are just great big communist infestations anyway. We don't want them. We don't want them. We'd rather have we'd rather have no schools. I think um, students who are going to get technical uh, I I don't want to call them degrees, but technical training like welding and plumbing and electrical work and you know hands-on what used to be considered blue-collar labor, they're making more money in 18 months than most of our students will make in years after they've graduated. For very little money down, these these uh, students getting, we used to call it VOTEC, yep. they're, they're making money almost right off the bat because they've spent very little of, they've spent very little money in student loans, probably no money in student loans because many of these um, technical schools don't don't they they don't do student loans it's all cash out of your pocket so when you graduate you graduate debt free and you go right into a job that you can start getting paid for so um colleges and universities that are state funded are are going to be hurting big time because the states aren't going to be making any money either so the whole system's going to come crashing to the ground. I just it's going to be like a slow rolling train wreck. You're not going to be able to take your eyes away. And and if you're me, somewhere inside of me is this wicked robin just laughing her ass off because I you know, it's almost like I told you so. <laughs> don't listen to me. I don't know anything about economics. I've only got a PhD in economics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do I know? I'm only a doctor. What do I know? I'm just a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Is your, you know, d- during your president's little tour there of his, uh, you know, here, here's who I am and, and th- that whole gripe session thing, uh, yeah. you know, what is his stance on the jabs and the masks? Did that come out in any of those? <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. I'm glad you asked. So he steps on campus <clears throat> on January the 3rd and he holds his very first listening session and he walks in without a mask. And every single person in that room's got a mask on. Now, I, I know this happened because I was watching via Zoom. 
you know, I, I'm not going on to campus. I'm going to stay home. We're not even supposed to be back until the 11th. But anyway, he walks into this room, and, and it's got lots of uh, professors and some some staff in it. And they're all wearing masks, and he gets up to the podium, and he, he introduces himself, and he says, you can take your mask off, and nobody does. Not one person. Wow. And then um, the next time I saw him in a listening session and again i was lurking in the zoom chat um he was wearing a mask and he didn't take it off and in these two sessions that i observed there were quite a few people from the college of medicine who were bitching and moaning and complaining about how they're working their fingers to the bone giving jabs to everybody and they don't have enough people to work and they don't have enough you know money and yada yada and and i thought to myself you know, just wait until people start dropping dead and they remember who gave them the jab. And they remember which doctor or which nurse lied to them about what's in the jab. And, you know, even though the university, uh, um, basically said in teeny tiny half font size, half point font size in the email, well, yeah, the jab is, you know, voluntary. Um, but they had they had quite a number of faculty, probably 90% of the faculty that got jabs. I think there was something pretty close to 90% of the students that got jabs. Um, I remember sitting in um, faculty meetings in, see, when did the jabs roll out? December 2020. So I remember sitting in faculty meetings during that spring of 2021 and listening to people talk about they'd got the first jab and how sick they felt or they got the second jab and they felt sick or they then roll fast forward into the fall of 2021 and they were talking about how they got their booster and they felt awful well how many of these people are now developing all kinds of cancers and deadly diseases because they got the bad jabs you know so so i'm not sure if this new president is pushing the jab but i do know he he didn't take his mask off, so he fell for that, you know. He didn't remember Title 18, Section 242 that says uh, you can't discriminate under color of law, you know. So, um, but all of that stuff that um, that I had, uh, I think I told you I, I wrote an email to the president and to the university council only, and I said, you have to stop this masking. You have to stop because you're breaking the law. Well, right before spring break, so like March, I want to say it was March 14th. I'm, I'm thinking in my head when these dates were, but I think it was like, maybe it was right during spring break, March 14th. Somebody put up on the website that masks were voluntary now optional yeah and within five days they took it down off the website and but enough students and faculty had seen it that they stopped wearing their masks and so within a couple of weeks after that the university finally went oh, okay fine you don't have to wear a mask indoors but just as soon as we hit the last day of the class uh right as exam week hit the university came out with another announcement saying that all students must get tested and I looked at that and I just laughed because um, you know 
my my assumption is that the testing is violating my personal space. You don't have any right to take my DNA. And I've been telling my students that for eight months, all through fall semester, all through spring semester. Um, surprisingly to me, there were a number of students who, who started refusing to get tested too. You know, um, students may be living on campus, but the university is still illegally jailing them, imprisoning them, calling it quarantine. You know, no due process. Do they still have jab, uh, jab mandates? I mean, is the to attend is that still required? No, no, they're not. That they're strongly recommending. Uh, and I'm thinking that that nobody has, other than me, has actually mentioned to anyone in administration. And I did this way back in. I, I want to say I did this way back in September, where I let the um, I let the the provost, the president, and the university council, the the faculty senate president, and the representatives from my college know that the the um, all of the jabs are still emergency use authorization only there's still euas and therefore it's a violation of the nuremberg code to force these jabs to even recommend them to bribe people to get them you can't offer them anything and you have to have full informed consent which means the students have to be and the faculty have to be told what's in these jabs and what are the consequences of getting the jab um, when pfizer came out with I think it was on March 1st, they came out with a, a summary of um, the first 90 days of their experiment from 2021. So halfway, see, December, call it December 15th. So January, February, those three months, December 15th to about March, the end of March, 2021, they came up with a summary. It was 37 pages long and the last nine pages of it listed all, all of the effects that Pfizer had documented medical diseases that increased or were spurred by these jabs up to and including death. Yep. 1,291 side effects. 1,291. They, 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 they squeezed it all together, um, single, not even single space small print 1,291 side effects. In fact, Pfizer had to hire almost 2,500 people more because they were getting so many doctors telling them and so many people telling them all the different side effects these jabs were having. So none of that information was given to people um, in April 2021. That, that kind of information was, was you know, just trickling out in the alt media so so nobody nobody is innocent in this um when the jabs came out marshall university sent to sent to an email around saying you've got to get jabbed i wrote back to, i wrote back to hr and i said not getting jabbed i'm not on campus because they were saying if you're on campus you have to get jabbed no i'm not on campus i'm not getting jabbed and um, and then when I wrote again in the fall of 2021, 
and said, you, you can't mandate these jabs. You're going to violate the Nuremberg Code. You're going to violate. I mean, I had, I was a brilliantly written email, even if I do say so myself. But all of that talk about mandating the jabs on campus just silently went away. Almost like somebody who knows the law took everybody aside and said, okay, you got to stop this right now, or we're going to be sued into oblivion because this woman won't stop. If we make this mandatory, you're all going to lose your butts. You know, and, and shame on the parents, too. I mean, my God, what, what, what are they thinking? I mean, they're not thinking. That's evident. And, you know, I've, I've said this, I've said this numerous times, too, that a number, I mean, I don't even know how, how many, but endless side effects in that giant Pfizer document. Uh, an endless number of them are cognitive decline, uh, you know, side effects and disabilities. I mean, you know, (laughs) for God's sakes, it says on the side of a, of cough syrup on the side of a bottle of cough syrup, don't drive heavy machinery. We have individuals who are double, triple and quadruple jabbed, um, running these massive institutions. Right. And we're expecting everybody well, to be thinking clearly about what's really going on. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's another thing. Um, I started noticing in the fall, uh, I started noticing some of, uh, it, especially when we were in these Zoom meetings and I was observing these people who had gotten two jabs and a booster and they, they, they were, I don't want to say they were cognitively impaired, but their thinking was definitely slowed. Yeah. They didn't. They they didn't look well, um, and I noticed in some of the students, their their thinking was foggy. Of course, a lot of them were masked up. Um, I I never wore a mask while I was on campus. I deliberately didn't wear a mask while I was on campus because, first of all, I'm not going to short myself oxygen. That's just doing my own self detrimental harm. But I also figured I wanted to set um, an example for the students to stand up, grow a pair, find your spine, you know, tell them no. I said, no, you're not going to hurt me. You're not going to insist that I hurt myself physically. So, you know, big F you to that. I'm not doing it. And I had a lot of students, funny, I had a lot of students start taking their masks off. And, and then they started taking their masks off in other classes and kind of daring the, the professor to throw them out. Um, and by the time we got to the middle of spring semester, most of my students were not wearing masks, even though it was still, quote unquote, mandatory on campus. I mean, I, I, I was daring the administration silently to come after me. And, and when, they, when I heard that they were about to, I slammed that brick into their face as well. And I said, you're going to do it. Come after me. I dare you. So I don't think the students are going to mask up in the fall. I think they've had, I think they're done with that. They've had done, they're finished. They're, they're, um, I, I can't, you know, Sean, really, those of, those of us like you and I who are already skeptical. I mean, my, my opinion of government is it's bad all the way around. I don't care which level you're looking at. Government is bad. They're, they're psychos in government you know sociopaths and psychopaths are the ones who are who are saying yeah elect me i'll do really good i'll give you lots of free stuff well 
that's a bunch of crap. And so, you know, there were enough of us out there going, no, this is a bad idea. But how many people don't have that attitude, who have the attitude of government's good, they give me money? You know, government's great, they give me $1,200 last year, so I went out and bought a great big flat screen. You know, um, they're, they're the ones that are still watching the mainstream media, and the mainstream media lied, lied, lied about all of these jabs. They were paid by the government to lie about these jabs. The medical community, I remember reading in an AMA journal way back in the early 2020, when the jabs, uh, 2021, when the jabs rolled out, that the AMA was going to crucify doctors and nurses that didn't uh, toe the party line. Medical boards and states were going after doctors and taking their licenses away if they spoke out against the jabs. If they told their if they told their patients anything other than the party line, the jab's good, you must have it. They were going to rip these people out of their professions. So they were threatened. Now, I'll grant you, we didn't have enough doctors with cojones to stand up to the AMA and say, Well, screw you fine, I'll go flip burgers. But these these doctors got huge amounts of money for giving the jabs. Look at the, the amount of money the hospitals got for giving remdesivir and killing off people. Yeah. I mean, there's enough blame and guilt to go, I mean, we could we could fling mud at the wall all day long and not cover everybody. And so I can't I can't really blame the parents, especially the ones who are not awake. It's yeah, maybe they should have been awake, but they weren't. Well, you know, it's it, it's it's also a lot like those. Uh, I would call them, you know, the, those anonymous boards that exist on college campuses where anyone can complain about anybody, and you're guilty until proven innocent. If medical doctors, right. if medical doctors weren't wearing a mask, I mean, their own patients would rat them out. And they right. would they would contact right. you know their license holder and say, well, doctor so and so's not wearing their mask and shouldn't they be doing that because you know they're giving shots and blah 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 and, th- and then before you know it again that individual receives an email and they say, well, you know you're under investigation for not following our rules, um, right? You know you might lose your license. I mean I remember last summer when I was at that America's Frontline uh, White Coat Summit Doctor thing in San Antonio. A guy got up on stage, and he was he was a doctor in Oregon. He lost his medical license because he wouldn't wear a mask. Yeah. And he was telling yeah, his yeah, just pa- not wearing the mask. Yeah, and he was telling his patients, "Look, here's the box, and it says on the box, does not protect against anything, should not be should not be worn, not a medical device, can cause harm." Uh, you know, here right. you go. And again, his own patients ratted him out. Yep. Um, yep. It's just nuts. It d- does. Does Marshall University ever, or have they in recent months, released any emails about student or staff-related deaths? No. No. But, you know, um, I I don't think that that's something, if they knew, I don't think it's something that they would do. Yeah. Um, there are colleges. I, I, there are colleges and universities that are doing that. 
Really? Yeah, oh, they're well, sending they're them. sending out emails saying, well, you know, we lost Dr. So-and-so and he died of, you know, in his sleep and it was unexpected and whatever else. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, Dr. Uh, so-and-so was triple jabbed. Right, right. Well, we did have in January, early January, a chemistry professor passed away unexpectedly. And, um, well, and given, you know, 90% of the faculty say they're jabbed, you know, twice jabbed and boosted, um, the, the chances that that guy was twice jabbed and or boosted is pretty high. Yeah. You know, um, but but the, I'm not looking for deaths. I am looking for the illnesses. The, the professors who no longer can teach because they're ill, they're too ill to teach. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, just absences. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, one of the things that I noticed um, after the boosters came out and, and they started rolling around through campus, um, maybe six weeks later, so towards the end of October, and again, you know, end of October, we're more than halfway through the semester, and that's about the time that, that students get tired, they've had enough, and they start not showing up to class. So again, too early in the semester, I noticed a, a great amount of absences. Were they sick? I, I don't know. Um, I don't think they were dying. I didn't get any notices from from anybody in administration. You know, you know, John Smith died, but right. they might not have known either. Um, there was a. a I, I, I don't know if the numbers of students that we had in the spring semester was any less than the numbers that we had in the fall semester because we were told, oh yeah, we're, we're actually doing really good on our student population, you know, the, the number of students showing up. But again, um, those booster shots started rolling out, at least in our area, right around the beginning of right after Labor Day, I want to say, or maybe a week later. Um, but, but again, I was noticing how ill-looking my um, colleagues were, at least on Zoom meetings. A lot of them, do they just look bad? So I'm not looking for deaths. I'm looking for a surprising number of cancers or, you know, Man, that one came down with myocarditis. I wonder how that happened. They, they're, you know, usually pretty healthy and a runner. Um, so I, I, I would like to, I would like to think that most professors are pretty smart, but I'm finding out that most professors are pretty stupid because they're they're not doing their own research. I mean, even even the chair of my department. Um, beginning of fall semester came into my office with a mask on to, stood six feet away and said how come you're not wearing a mask and I said because it reduces the oxygen in it that I intake it's bad for your health he goes it is and I said yeah I said I haven't you done any research on mask wearing he goes well no I've been kind of busy doing other things and I thought you know okay it's just me Sean but my health is the most important thing to me, not my research. You know, if, 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 if I allow myself to be killed off, what good am I? Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, the amount of, the amount of um, 
I don't know, cluelessness? Is that a good word? Stupidity? Naivete? Um, sheep-like behavior? Follow the leader? Yeah. And, and these people are supposed to be smart. I mean, we still had, even after the mask mandate was lifted, um, we, we still had students and faculty walking around the College of Business with masks on. Still. It's, it, yeah, so, it's incredible. It's um, I'll tell you what, I have an audio clip I want to play you, if, if play for you if it's okay. Yeah. It, it, it is right in this line. This was on, uh, this was on the high wire with Del Bigtree. And it's an individual walking around asking what are seemingly college-age students uh, particular questions about why they're still wearing the masks. And the answers that they provide, again, are shocking. It is, it's incredible. It's so sad, too. You can see it in their faces, you know. And that's one of the things that I noticed w- when I would watch um, school board meetings, K-12 school board meetings. You would see it in their faces that these individuals were not only still wearing masks, but they were physically ill. You know, they were, they were coughing incessantly. Uh, they looked pale. They looked gaunt. And I'm, and I'm saying to myself, you know, if you just took the mask off and, and would just breathe like a normal person, you'll be 100% fine. Yeah. But they, they have no idea what they've done to themselves. Uh, all right, let me, let me crank this up and see if you can hear it. For when you feel comfortable without a mask and when you feel like you should definitely be wearing uh, I think we should be wearing masks all the time. For me, it's just like, oh, it's better to be safe than sorry. So I'm just always wearing my mask. Typically, I wear it inside and outside all times. I feel like whenever I'm in public, I should uh, always be wearing masks, especially around other people. I guess more so when around people, a, a lot of people, and then not so much like if there's not as many people because the vaccination rollouts have been largely to more privileged communities i think there's a lot of people that aren't able to receive the vaccinations and i still want to wear my mask to ensure i'm being socially conscious for them (laughs) (laughs) if i had a friend that was like that they wouldn't be my friend very long so you know not everyone's going to get vaccinated that's kind of a an unfortunate statistic definitely everybody i know is vaccinated it's still new and long-term effects or whatever but were you leery about getting the vaccine i was not i was ready to go i was like just put it in me <laughs> i felt like i got the vaccine and i still had to wear the mask so i was just thinking what's the point of the vaccine we're not going to trust everyone to be vaccinated so we're we're keeping our masks on i got the shot and I still got COVID. So I'm... <laughs> with the vaccine. I've had COVID twice, actually. It's all super weird. Where do you usually get your information? Um, just social media sites, the news. Um, honestly, uh, a lot of it comes through social media. So, like, uh, just, uh, you know, following sources such as, you know, CNN or um, MSN and you know, all that stuff. I'm so used to wearing a mask. I don't really remember just not wearing it out in public anymore. We believe in masks and we believe in the vaccine and we believe in those types of things because history has proven those things to work. I'm so used to the mask now that even if they say like, oh, you don't really have to wear a mask, I might just wear it just in case. They're not going to survive. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if we cast our minds back to 1918, 
1917 when the Spanish flu went rolling through and the AMA decided everybody was going to mask up, people died of bacterial pneumonia. So, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of people winning the Darwin Award soon. <laughs> no kidding. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I, 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 I hate to sound callous. I really do. I, honest to God, I do. But there's only so many times I can look at, at students and say, please don't wear that mask. You're hurting yourself. I mean, I I said it over and over and over until I finally, I just, I quit because there were some students that would not take it off. Even after the mask mandate went away, I had students in my class who would not take the mask off. And I, I concluded that these were students who were introverts. They're painfully shy. They felt better. It would have been better in a burqa. I mean, honestly, you know, they just want to, they want to hide and, and they feel comfortable hiding that mask, um, keeps them hidden. It keeps them safe. It's like a security blanket. So, I mean, I I don't, I'm, I, I'm sorry that they're so stupid, but (laughs) this is going to sound really stupid, but you know, if most of the people who got the jabs who end up passing away are the left, we're going to be a really strong conservative country not too long and that that sounds really mean there's some things going on that you and i have seen happen in these last almost two years where a goodly number of people are beginning to wake up and they're turning their attention toward their government officials and they're beginning to ask some really smart questions like why are you doing this why are you really doing this And I think we are entering a period of time when the mass of people are going to be looking at their government, not with a critical eye, but with an accusing eye. You did this to us on purpose. You wanted to mass murder Americans. And and those government officials and those people in, in any institution, whether it's university, K through 12, the medical, um, the medical industrial complex, anyone who is pushing these jabs is going to feel the wrath of the American people. It's, it's, it's not too far off now because we're going to start seeing massive numbers of people who are crippled for life or dead. I mean, I'm, I think I told you in one of the last podcasts, one or one or two of the last podcasts that we did that the CEO of One America, Scott Davidson, came out the beginning of January 2022 and said the last uh, two quarters of 2021, they, they, the actuary saw a 40% excess death rate in from all causes in the 18 to 64-year-old population. And and 40% excess death rate means that it is four times higher than a normal pandemic death rate. So we are seeing, we're seeing the consequences of really bad decisions. Decisions made thoughtlessly. They're following the leader. Um, I I love that not one of those, hardly any of those people in the, the, um, soundbite that you played for me could actually put their finger on why they're still wearing the mask except for one or two well you know i've been listening to social media and mainstream media and you know they they say to keep wearing the mask 
okay, that's fair enough. The rest of them, they don't know why they're wearing the mask. They, they can't remember a time when they've ever had it off. So, um, it's brainwashing are, and, and it's so sad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very sad to watch and listen to because again, you can, you can see the confusion in their eyes. But they, right. they just aren't asking, like you said, they're not asking questions. They're not saying, well, you know, I, I've had it, you know, I, I've had two shots and I've I, I've gotten COVID twice. Wow, that's super weird. Wouldn't your next question right. be, the shots don't work, do they? That would be mine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I got a shot for polio and I still got polio, I might, I might question whether the shot was any good. Right. Did the shot no. cause polio? You know. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I'm. We are coming into a time of great crying and gnashing of teeth. More kind of like you know the great tribulation. Um, there is going to be a lot of us who are asked to um, dig deep and help the younger generation that's left. I mean, can you imagine? children watching both their parents and their all their grandparents and aunts and uncles die because they all took the jab but the kids were too young to get it six months ago it would be hard to blame them because they're probably still brainwashed so i think the parents that are are dead set on getting their kids jabbed i i i can't think of a worse situation where a parent goes and gets their kid jabbed and the kid dies and there's the parent going oh my god it was the jab i killed my own i killed my own child you know i, I can't imagine a worse situation and i hope I, I i hope there are a very limited number of those i can't hope that there aren't any because we've already seen parents who have posted um in facebook you know the, the sad tale of their child dying two weeks or a week or a couple days after they got the jab. So we know it's coming. I think this is the time when those of us who remain sane and kept our wits about us kind of gird up and get ready because it, it's coming. It's going to be sad. There's going to be a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of grief to share and to go around. And I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to that because I know that my own family is in a precarious position. Yeah, likewise. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, but, but let me touch on something that I heard one of those people in the soundbite say. They said, well, I was following on social media. So what happens when Elon who we all thought was a huge leftist and socialist, buys Twitter, which he did last week, and then all of a sudden, the free speech platform is again free speech, and people start talking about the effects of getting the jabs, and what can be done to correct the poison running through people's bodies. I mean, if, if these kids are so stuck on social media, it won't be too long after Twitter, but there will be other places that that begin to loosen the reins of censorship. And so, you know, perhaps perhaps by taking the the position of of um, the worst outcome, maybe I can be pleasantly surprised. You know, maybe there's because you and I both know that there are um, there are things that we can take that will mitigate some of the poison that's running through people's bodies 
Um, so I think those kind that kind of information is on its way out, uh, out into the social media. And, um, and so I'm hopeful that my viewpoint is too pessimistic, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it's a good thing that Musk bought Twitter. I, I love, I love seeing all the left have their meltdowns, you know, the crying and moaning and gnashing of teeth and, oh my God, what are we going to do? A billionaire owns a social media platform, never realizing that somebody who's poor living under a bridge is not going to buy Twitter. Yeah. You know, a billionaire, of course, is going to own these big companies because they've got the money. Um, and, and then they fail to look at their own ownership of their own corporations to say, oh, well, there's a billionaire there, too. So I'm thinking that uh, with Twitter becoming a, a free speech platform again, the way it was designed, I'm thinking that more good news will be coming out, that um, people will be sharing their um, anecdotal information about how to how to help their fellow man and woman and child mitigate the, the and get rid of the poison that's running through their bodies. So, I mean, I mean, how stupid is it going to be, Sean, for the pharma companies to come out and say, we've, we've got a fifth jab trying to convince the people who have had four jabs that they need a fifth one while also trying to convince the people who have been never jabbed they, that they need five. <laughs> so it's going to start to look really stupid. And at least for the pharma companies. And at some point, people are going to get wise to the scam. And they're going to turn their eyes on the pharma companies and the people who work there. And um, and those people who work at Big Pharma are going to be lucky they're not lynched in the streets. I mean, honestly, seriously. You know, what happens when the slightly not quite hinged correctly person looks at their mom or dad who has passed away and been and been lied to by the medical community can you imagine what can happen i can imagine some really it'll be like the purge mm -hmm. with, with more truth that makes its way back onto twitter without being censored you know the the cognitive dissonance of the people that are still participating in twitter in particular, yeah. you know, many individuals on the left, although there are plenty of individuals on the right, too, who are double, triple jabbed and actually believe that they work. Uh, you know, like yeah. a, lot, a lot of the talking heads on Fox News. But <laughs> they, uh, th their cognitive dissonance is going to kick in and, and they're going to flee. You know, m much like, yeah. again, the, the individuals there in that audio clip, they, they don't know that people like us exist. That we've that we've yeah. known what this was before it happened all along. Yeah, right. correct. And that we've been yeah. we've been doing what we've been doing this entire time, and they've just again been blindly following along, and they still aren't piecing things together. You know, the, the moment that people start to actually question what's what's been happening, I I don't think that. I don't think that many are going to have the mental capacity at that point, you know, even jab aside, you know, jab side effects aside, I don't think they're going to have the mental capacity to be able to connect the dots that's going to, that's going to keep them in the game and keep them asking right. questions and, and, you know, wondering what's actually taking place. Right. 
Well, you know, I think back on that um, phrase that Morpheus in The Matrix was telling Neo as they're walking along the street in The Matrix and, you know, there's lots of people around him. And Morpheus makes a comment, something along the lines of, all of these people are in The Matrix. They're all asleep. They're all comatose. They're not ready to be awakened. And if you did wake them up, they would fight you because... Yeah. They don't know any better. Right. You know, um, I I recently purchased the fourth Matrix. I think it's Matrix uh, Resurrection. Or I don't remember, but it's the fourth Matrix one. And to me, it was just one long red pill that if you were even semi-sleeping, you might wake up watching it. Um, but I, I thought it was, I thought it was a good analogy for what's going on right now. We do still have a lot of people who are asleep. They're totally oblivious to what's going on. And, um, and you know, some of the things that are happening in the news, in the alt media that are coming out, they're, they're being dripped out because you don't want to startle a person awake, you know, even I know that you don't want to startle your kids awake. That's not a good way to wake up. You want to kind of gently wake them up and pretty soon they're conscious and they're ready to go. But a lot of these people around us, our neighbors, our family. I mean, I've got a sister-in-law who swears by the jab, even though it's probably taken out friends of hers. So it's, it's a slow waking process. Let me give you an example of one of the drips. Um, Elon Musk makes the tender offer to buy Twitter a week ago today, right? Was it a week ago today? Is that all? Wow. Anyway, about two days later, maybe three days later, sometime Wednesday or Thursday, the Biden administration announces that they're going to institute what I call the Ministry of Truth. Now, it was something like Disinformation Governance Board, some bullcrap title like that but it's the ministry of truth we're going to decide what truth it is that you should know we the government are going to censor everybody and you know complete total violation of our first amendment well how many people who are sort of semi-asleep and i'm thinking of a couple people in my family who are current kind of lean libertarian that would wake them up they would go whoa 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 wait a minute a disinformation governance board? You mean kind of like the Ministry of Truth out of George Orwell's 1984 book? Whoa, that's 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 a bridge too far, you know? So things that are happening around us, I believe, and this is my opinion, are happening in order to get people to wake up. Does that make any sense? It, it does. You know, I, I'm. we've already had... A, you know, a basically a disinformation governance board. You know, they're American K-12 textbooks. I mean, yeah. we've, we've, we've already had lying. You know, it's called the television. We've already yeah. had endless censorship and endless lying and endless brainwashing. Um, whether this board actually is real or not, and, and right. I've mentioned that in, in the last episode, I, I think I said, you know, I don't even know if this is real. It's probably right. – it's probably – it's quite possible it's just controlled and they've just decided to give it a name it, it, like you said in the effort of purposefully waking some people up a little bit but yeah. you also know well, there would be know, people that would double down and they'd say well we need one of those boards because there's so much and, misinformation out there 
Right, and CNN immediately came out and hopped on board with, oh yeah, we need a ministry of truth. Right. Because, you know, somebody's got to control the information out there. But I did a little bit of um, research and digging into the education system and why it's so crappy the way it is now. So there was a lady by the name of Jane Spaulding back in 1951, 1952, and 1953, and she won the Teacher of the Year Award in 1951. She was a black lady. She won the Teacher of the Year Award, and the president at that point in time appointed her, he wanted to appoint her the head of the Department of Education. She was supposed to be the head of the Department of Education. Now, now, in 1951, who was president? Just remind me real quick. Was that Truman? I think so, or Eisenhower. Okay, right, be- right before, I think Eisenhower got in, he was voted in in 52, and I think he got um, got uh, sworn in in 53. But but your, your listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm happy to stand corrected. But Jane Spaulding was, um, she went, she was taken by the, by the U.S. government to all 50 states because the message from the president, I'm pretty sure it was Truman, was that um, they wanted to centralize control of the education system. And people all over the country were up in arms. No, we don't want that. We want control to remain at the local level. We know our kids best. We want, we want parents in control of school boards, parents in control of who we hire as teachers, and parents in control of the curriculum. So they were all against us, all 50 states, or 48, because I think um, Hawaii and Alaska weren't part of it, but they were territories. So Jane Spaulding was taken to all the states, to all the states of the of the union, and and you know we're we're building this Department of Education because we want standardized education, so that if a a um, school child in sixth grade in California, um, his parents pick up and move to New York in January, then then the education that they're getting in California is exactly at the same place that the education that the student would get in New York. So we want to standardize all the curriculums, um, every school going at the same pace, same week, etc. So she gets trotted around all of the states of the union, and finally, 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 all the states agree, okay, fine, well, you know, that makes sense. So she gets installed in April, on April 11th, 1953, the last state signed up to this Department of Education. They got it installed. They put her in as the head of the Department of Education. And 49 days later, she was fired. Now, the person who replaced her was Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller. Didn't take long. He was the grandson. Hmm? That didn't take long. That didn't take long. Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller was the grandson of John D. Rockefeller. Now, we know if we go back and we read The Creature from Jekyll Island... John D. Rockefeller was one of the proponents of the Federal Reserve and the income tax, the 1913 Federal Reserve Act and the 1913 um, 16th Amendment, which was the income tax. 
Senator Aldrich, at the time, in 1912, was Rockefeller's best friend, and he was the guy who pushed through both of those things and had Woodrow Wilson sign the Federal Reserve Act and the 16th Amendment on, um, I think it was January 6, 2014. The quorum the, um, the vote in the Senate was December 23rd at 11 o'clock at night after most of the members of the Senate had gone home. So Aldrich, um, his namesake then becomes the department, the head of the Department of Education. And on the day that this happened, there was a press conference. And one of the press asked Nelson A. Aldrich, how much money did you make last year? Mr. or he and Nelson A. Rockefeller asked Rockefeller, "How much money did you make last year?" And Rockefeller dug into his pocket, pulled out a penny, and flipped it at the at the journalist and said, "Not one red cent. Not one red cent." So the Rockefellers took over the Department of Education in 1953, and what he did was. In eight years, he rewrote all the textbooks for the entire education system. So that would be by 1961. And so ever, and, and that's, and, and so, so here, here's the thing. So students who were educated, um, let's say you were born in the late 1950s and you went through the education your, your K-12 education in the 60s and 70s, you would have still had hung, um, leftover teachers from the old system who knew how to teach the correct information, you know, times tables, rote learning, cursive writing, reading, writing, and arithmetic, the proper way. But by the time you get into the middle to the late 1980s, a lot of those old teachers from the old times before 1970, a lot of them are retiring or dying out. And that's when you get, so the middle of the 1970s, what comes out of the Chicago school? Chicago math, new math. I remember that because I had grown up in the old system where we were taught how, you know, times tables, divisions tables, how to multiply five digit numbers together properly without a calculator. And um, by the time you get up into the middle of the 1980s and into the late 1980s, you get a, a, a math teaching system. It's called core math that, that doesn't teach the students at all how to multiply or divide, adding and subtracting, none of that. And, and you get students who can't process math properly. And that started in the middle of the 1970s with the Chicago New Math, which my sixth grade teacher told me this is abominable and because he was trying to teach me how to multiply two uh, five-digit numbers using this really long complicated way of math and I, I could do it out the proper way in half or less time and I had come from a country school when and when this was happening so in the country schools all of the old ways of doing things had not changed but if you went to a great big city school, they had adopted this new stuff that Rockefeller had peeled out um, during the 19, late 1950s and early 1960s. 
And I told my sixth grade teacher, I said, this way of doing um, multiplying numbers is stupid. Why don't we just do it the old fashioned way? Why don't we just do it the correct way, you know, with, with multiplication tables and such? And he goes, well, this is the new way of doing things. And I finally got him to realize that what he was doing was idiocracy and he stopped doing it. He went back to the old, he said, throw all that crap away. We're gonna go back to the way we're supposed to be doing math, multiplying and dividing. And that particular year I won the math contest because I knew how to do math. I'd been taught the proper way of doing math and all of my compatriots in that particular big city class were, were not taught properly. He had spent almost the entire year teaching them an improper way of doing math. He knew it was improper, but it was part of the curriculum. Fast forward into the 1990s when we get this core math where the students aren't even taught proper multiplication or proper division. And now fast forward into the 1920s, or sorry, 2020s, when I get students who can't even fathom what a fraction means. If you put one-fourth, one over four in front of them, they have a panic attack. They don't understand if they don't understand numerators and denominators. They don't understand that if the denominator gets bigger, the whole fraction gets smaller. They don't know math because they were deliberately improperly taught. Now, if you don't know math, you can't do chemistry, you can't do biology, certainly can't do math, you can't do um, engineering, you can't do anything. You know, there's the Rockefellers, they, they started the American Medical Association way, way back in the 1840s. So they screwed up our medical, our, they screwed up medicine for us. You know, big pharma doesn't make money unless we're sick. So they devise more ways of making us more sick. So we just get on a subscription basis every month. Doctors aren't really healers. All they do are prescribe more drugs, and every time they prescribe more drugs, they get more kickbacks from Big Pharma. Big Pharma has no reason to help us get better because they don't make money if we're healthy. Doctors don't make money if we're healthy. We had a whole big push in economics in the late 1980s and all the way through the 1990s and into the early 2000s where economist after economist after economist came out with doctor-induced demand for medicine. It's like a three-prong attack. If they, if they mess up the education system, within 10 years, 20 at the most, all of those students that get run through the education system can be totally socialized into communists. Now, there's enough of us out there that, you know, we, we don't take to the brainwashing really well. We, we might have been, you know, a bit rebellious in school might have had to stand in the corner one too many times because we weren't listening, thank God, because we're the ones with our common sense still intact. So, you know, they mess up the education system, they take over the medical system, they got the military, what's left? How about food? Have you noticed the number of food processing plants in the last two months that have gone up in flames? I mean, I think I'm up to almost two dozen and counting. So if you want to starve the Americans and you can't get them to stop driving and the truckers won't stop trucking, how do you stop the food from flowing around the United States? Well, just blow up the food processing plants. 
we can starve them out. Pretty soon, they won't have any money, they won't have any gas, they won't have any food, and they'll turn to the, the benevolent rulers in Washington, D.C. for their handout. And that's how you take over a nation. Fortunately, there are enough of us who are awake kind of pointing this out, saying, hey, look over there. Those people in Washington, they're not your friends. They're not your advocates. You probably didn't even vote for them. Or in, in fact, if you didn't vote for them, it didn't matter anyway, because the counters in the election were going to put in the people that they wanted to anyway. You know, selection, not election. The bad part for the bad guys what will be their downfall is there are enough of us awake and we're kind of nudging our neighbors and pointing things out. I mean, how many times have you gone into the store and you're just standing there and some somebody shuffles along and they're looking at the price of things or the cans are getting smaller. I notice the soup cans and the, the vegetable cans are getting smaller and the price is remaining the same and they're, they're looking at this going, this is crazy. And you look over them and you go, yeah. Why do you suppose the prices are going up? I bet you nine out of ten of them would turn at you, turn to you, and say it's Biden's fault because they're awake or they're getting awake. So I mean, there's still a lot of work to do in the United States. There, we, you know, we can't help anybody else until we've cleaned our own house first. You know, with all of this destruction of everything, what, what is it that they plan on replacing it with? And I, I, I roll that thought around from time to time. You know, well, they have to replace it with something. They have to replace it with something. And then I think to you myself, well, I mean, anything, all of it. You know, uh, the food industry, the, the transportation industry, the education industry. I mean, all of it is crumbling right in front of our eyes. And, and of course, we, right. are, we are seeing that. But I, I just think, well, what are you, if they're purposely destroying it, which they are, what are they going to replace it with? And then I always end up at the same conclusion, which is they don't have to replace it with anything. Maybe they just want it to just die, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, I think the plan, if you go back and you look at the World Economic Forum, just, you know, make it easy on yourself. Tell your, your listeners can go look at the United Nations website, and you can look up Agenda 2030. And you can see that everything that we're experiencing is on their list of things to do to people. And I and I said it the right way. They are doing these things to people. Almost there, there are member nations of the UN that are walking in lockstep with the World Economic Forum, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, just to name a few. And and those are not just uh, those are not solely in the United States, but this agenda is to purposely, purposely kill off a goodly number of people in the world. I mean, if you go and you look at, uh, dig into the World Economic Forum, oh, I got an idea. Go take a look at Johns Hopkins website. Somewhere in there is going to be Event 201 and Lockstep, and those are both, uh, those are both uh, tabletop um, simulations for how to get rid of a hundred million people out of the United States. A hundred million dead. Now, how would you kill off a hundred million people? What's the fastest way you, you could think of doing it? What about introducing a virus 
that's not particularly deadly, but you get the news media to really hype it up and scare the holy bejesus out of people. And then you introduce something that they're calling a vaccine, but that really isn't. It's an mRNA technology um, injection. Um, some of them laced with graphene oxide. You know, um, w would that kill off enough people? What about the people who don't want, you know, maybe they get one or two of these injections and then go, man, I don't know, I don't think I want to. Would you encourage them to keep wearing masks, which you know will give them bacterial pneumonia? You know, if you want to get rid of 100 million people or more, um, who would you replace them with? Would you open the southern border and let people come in from every country in the world? Would you ship out from from some of these third world, I'll borrow Trump's face, third world shitholes, would you ship out all of your prisoners and ship them over to Mexico so they can cross the border and then be shipped all over the nation by at night by Biden's uh, night flights? You know, um, it wouldn't matter if you, uh, in fact, I think uh, the Biden administration is not insisting on the jab for any illegal alien that comes over the border. So they're not getting the jab. So you kill off your own population and you replace them with people who are just overjoyed to be in America because, you know, that's that's where, uh, you, you know, opportunity is unlimited. But then they get here and they're on EBT cards and they, they end up living in shitholes just like the one they left at home. But now they can't get back. They don't have cars. The food is given out by the government. We know that George Soros and uh, and Klaus Schwab want people to replace meat with bugs. In fact, we have fake meat. Go check out the fake meat at Kroger. It's always the meat that it's never bought. It's it's people will buy every other meat product except that one because it's fake meat. How many bugs are in that? So I mean. So, so replace the education. You don't have to educate. In fact, you don't want to educate kids. You just want to indoctrinate them. So you you come up with some uh, um, critical race theory, or let's rename it and call it social emotional learning, or whatever whatever BS name they want to give to it. It won't matter anyway. They're all children of immigrants, and all we're going to do is teach them enough how to write their names so they become slaves to the state. They can't, they can't go anywhere. Their parents are um, slaves to whatever company they're working for. They think they're in paradise. It, it'll take them a couple generations to figure out that they went from one shithole to the next. So, I mean, you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to take over the world, you couldn't do it in five days or five years, but maybe you could do it in 50 years or 150 years. I mean, because if you go back and you start looking at all this stuff when it, when it really started uh, rolling, it was right around the time Marx wrote his Das Kapital in 1848, which, by the way, was a very popular book in Europe. And most of the wealthy people in America liked it too, because it was a it was a um, supportive book of feudalism. Well, what is feudalism? Feudalism is when there's one person in charge and everyone else is slaves, and that's exactly the direction that the Biden administration is trying to take us. They're trying to make slaves of us. 
those of us who are left. The problem is, is there's too many of us that didn't take the jab at all, and we're wide awake. And like uh, Yamamoto said after bombing Pearl Harbor, he said, all, I fear all I've done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill it with a terrible resolve. And the reason that the Japanese didn't want to invade America in the first place is because they knew that behind every blade of grass there was a gun. Why do you think they've been so intent on getting our guns away from us? Every time, I mean, how many different false flag gun um, uh, gun events did we have during the Obama years? And after every single one of them, there was a hue and cry, we've got to get the guns, we've got to get the guns. Well, criminals aren't going to give up their guns. They don't follow the law anyway. Yeah, so, and thank you know, and thank God more it, states are allowing for the uh, are are certainly passing the constitutional carry, which is redundant, but it, right. uh, at least well, it's Florida, in place. Florida was the most recent one, and so now we're over. I think we're at twenty six or twenty seven states are constitutional carry states. So it won't be long, and all of them will be. Well, except for maybe the deep blue states like New York, California. Yeah. I can't think of any other deep blue state because I think all the rest of the states are, are probably there's enough people out there with some common sense. So so I'm seeing I'm seeing some glimmers of hope because enough of us didn't take the jab and we're wide awake and we're waking up our families. And if we can't wake them up then there are events like this Minister of Ministry of Truth coming out. Oh, and by the way, that Nina Jankowitz, the the one who's supposed to head up the Ministry of Truth, she's deep in with the whole Ukraine thing. So, you know, while Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff go over to Ukraine to visit with their slave master, I mean, I mean, President Zelensky, because, you know, they've got to get him some money or he's going to turn loose of all the information he's got that he's been blackmailing them with. Um, you know, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of events that are happening that are are waking the sleeping masses and and trust me when i say when that deep state realizes that they've wakened the sleeping giant and filled it with a terrible resolve they're going to run for the hills because there's going to be a lot of them that bad things are going to happen to because they were so evil to us yeah lo- local government too you know i i mentioned that a while back in an episode where i said you know, we, we saw the trends of parents showing up at school board meetings and yelling about the critical theories and mask wearing. And, you know, then, of course, some of us talked about the jabs. But the next thing to roll down the hill is the jab injured. You know, the, right. the, the, the jab injured are going to start showing up at school board meetings and shouting at the top of their lungs at school board members saying, you were advocating for this. You were making students do this. You said this was a good idea. I, I Yeah, I, I don't think... I mean, I agree with you. I don't think they know what's coming. They don't, and it's and it's coming, and it and nothing's going to stop it at this point. Nothing can stop it because there are too many people waking up. There's too many events occurring around us. I mean, there are too many events occurring around us that something is going to wake somebody up. I mean, we may not be able to wake our our friends and family up, but something will. Somebody will say something. They'll witness something. They'll see something on the TV, and all of a sudden they'll be wide awake, and they'll look around, and they'll kind of shake themselves like a like a cat does or stretch when she wakes up, and, and they'll look around and go, wow, I never noticed, but now things are falling into place. I kind of understand what's going on. 
So those of us who are awake, who have been awake the whole time, you know, we, we need to be prepared for a couple of things. We need to be prepared to answer some questions in a gentle way to those who are freshly woken up. It's not their fault that they were asleep. It really isn't. I mean, it's really tough to go through the K-12 system and, and the daily brainwashing and propaganda that we got on mainstream media for decades uh, without, without being asleep and being brainwashed. So we can't, we can't really be too mad at them. Um, so when they start asking questions, we need to just a- answer them without emotion, just, just the facts. This is what's going on. We need to be prepared to help the people around us who find themselves in dire straits. You know, maybe it just means mowing the grass or taking some biscuits and gravy down to a neighbor. And we need to be prepared for higher prices all over the place. These gas prices are not going down. In fact, they may go up, which means that our food is going to be more expensive. So, you know, if you've got a little bit of space in your backyard, you might consider making a garden, grow some vegetables, do some canning. If you can't do that, then, you know, keep your eyeballs peeled for when the canned goods are on sale and buy a few extra. I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm just talking about stocking up like our grandparents and great-grandparents used to do during the late summer and fall when they would do all the canning and prepare for the long months of winter. So um, there's a lot that we can do around us with our neighbors just helping, just, just being kind because it's not their fault that they were asleep. They cannot be blamed. Now, if they wake up, look around, ask some questions, and go back to sleep, why, okay, maybe they can be blamed, but um, not until then. Our, our K-12 schools, you and I both know, I'm going to do the happy dance when they finally collapse because so many parents are taking their kids out of school. Um, I don't know what the university system is going to do, um, you know, that, but that will be next in the stone being rolled down the hill. I think the medical medical community, the medical industrial complex, I think is going to collapse. The hospitals are going broke. And that's why they bought into the CARES Act in 2020, because it paid them, albeit to kill people, but it gave them money in their pockets. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the medical community, if they were pushing this jab, that is going to escape justice one way or the other. So um, I was telling them there's a primary care physician that I know that, um, you know, she was kind of looking around wondering what she could do to help. And I said, well, maybe you could buy a hospital. And she's been working on that to buy a hospital and to take the whole thing, um, price transparency, you know, with priceless, like you would have on a restaurant menu and to make the, the cost of medicine so inexpensive that even people of very poor means can afford it. So medicine is going to be taking a flip-flop. We're gonna, I think we're gonna go back to the way medicine used to be, where the primary care physician uh, healer was the person that everybody went to and then only seldomly did they go to the hospital for those kinds of uh, medical treatments that their primary care physician cannot cannot do, you know. Um, and I and. I'm seeing some very interesting information come out of Florida. I've been hearing about, 
I don't know if you watch the Patriot Party news with Chaz Carter. He's in Nashville, but there's some very interesting news coming out of Florida. I think it's Orlando where they've got med bed technology, um, which is like, as far as I can tell, space age technology that balances a human's physiological processes that helps them heal faster. So I think we've got some really cool stuff coming, but we've got to, we've, there's, there's, there's so many tentacles to this deep state octopus and it's been allowed to grow for hundreds of years. I mean, the United States is not the only country suffering from these evil dark bastards as far as I'm concerned, but we're, we're getting there. There's going to be new things coming. Medical system's going to collapse and it's going to revamp itself. The direct primary care physicians, which um, there, uh, you can go to DPC. I think it's direct, just type in Google direct primary care and you'll find their network. It started out with one doctor in North Carolina and it has spread throughout the nation. Um, a lot of these direct primary care physicians are, they're true healers. They, and they charge so little money. It's most of them have a monthly subscription to their medical care services through this particular physician, the physician in their area. And it's, it really truly is the best quality medicine for the least amount of money. And, um, and we're going to see that spread throughout the country as the medical hospitals die out and are taken over by direct primary care physicians. They're going to be, it's going to be a total new revamp in the medical industry. And I think the AMA is going to be hauled off to, um, the Hague in Europe and be, um, prosecuted for crimes against humanity. At least I hope they are. Because as far as I'm concerned, that, that, you know, that Hippocratic oath, do no harm. Yeah, they totally violated that. As far as I'm concerned, they're one of the chief reasons that this pandemic, plandemic, scandemic was pushed so hard and so fast. And all of the, all of the hurt and harm that they caused to doctors and nurses by forcing them to do these things. Now, yeah, true. Doctors and nurses could have flipped them the bird and said, screw off. I'm not doing this. I'm going to go flip burgers. But a lot of them didn't. But did you notice how many doctor whistleblowers or nurse whistleblowers there were? Not many. And that takes a lot of guts to do that. So I'm thinking the AMA is going to collapse. The mainstream media is already collapsing. I mean, look what happened to CNN plus 23 days. And that was it. They're done. Yep. I mean, wait till Elon Musk buys up CNN for 58 bucks. Cause that's about what it's worth. So, so things are happening behind the scenes. Mainstream media is, um, it's, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're done. Um, I, I saw that, the uh, Fox, what is that? Uh, uh, five at five, the Fox five, at five, I don't know what it is. I haven't watched them for, for months. Um, but they started talking about how the election was rigged. Yeah, the election was rigged. That was what the pandemic was all about. Send everybody home, do mail-in balloting. And for those of us who insisted on going and voting in person in large, large numbers, just print up the number of ballots you need so that Biden wins. You know, because if you're, if you're truly data-driven, which we are, Sean, 
if you noted that there was about 133 million registered voters in the United States and Donald Trump, it was acknowledged that he got 74 and a half million votes. How many votes are left for Biden? Not 81 million. Where'd they come up with those extra 40 million votes? And so, you know, I I remember spending hours and hours and hours in November and December of 2020 watching Rudy Giuliani and his team go from uh, throughout the six swing states talking in front of their Senate chambers, uh, their state Senate chambers about how the um, election fraud and voter fraud occurred. And now we've got Dinesh D'Souza coming out with True the Votes, um, 2,000 Mules. And there's another one, I think the, the movie is called Rigged. So the information is getting out there that this, um, that this uh, the election in 2020 was stolen. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of different things that are happening. Um, one of the, let me, let me just um, shift into economics for a little bit. What I noticed was that the five-year and 30-year bond interest rates inverted last week. I think it was, actually now, let's see, today is Monday. I think it was a little bit more than a week ago, which is a signal that we're going to be in recession. Well, how surprising that we, you know, we get the information that the GDP is has dropped by 1.4%. But also, some of the things that are happening over in Europe are that um, Russia, in the beginning week of March, gold-backed its ruble, 5,000 rubles for a gram of gold. So that sets a floor under the price of gold of about $1,940. And um, he told all of, he, he, Russia, is the country that sends Europe about 50% of its gas, um, oil and gas products, and and Europe said, no, we're not going to buy your gas, and, and Putin was like, okay, fine, freeze to death for all I care. I just read this morning there are 10 nations from the EU that are going against the EU sanctions, and they're buying gold-backed rubles to pay for their gas from Russia. That's about one-third of the EU is violating the EU sanctions and they're buying gas from Russia because they can't not. So so that's good. Also, because Russia was thrown off the SWIFT system um, by Biden and the uh, Federal Reserve, um, I'm not sure if anybody actually realized it, but Russia and China have been working together for probably 15 years to build their own central bank system of communication and, and uh sending money to and fro internationally. Well, India joined in, Saudi Arabia joined in, and I don't know if you I don't know if you know, but India and China and Saudi Arabia are all backing their currencies by gold. There's another 109 countries around the world that are joining. It's called CIPS. That's uh, CIPS. I don't remember. I think it's something I don't I think it's like Currency International Shucks, I don't remember the name, but so there's almost three quarters of the three quarters of the population of the earth that are joining China and Russia and India and Saudi Arabia using this system that is not controlled by the Federal Reserve and the and the central bank in Europe. 
So this is good news because it means that the deep state's money is drying up. They're, they don't have any money. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, Donald, they're clearly printing it because they're giving whatever it is, tens of tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to Ukraine. Right, but see, that's, that's, that's just the thing. It's worthless money. Right. It's not going to buy anything. Because if, if, you're, if you're a business owner and you're looking at a currency from Joe and currency from Mary, and Joe's got the gold-backed currency and Mary's got this funny-colored paper, whose currency are you going to take when you're selling your product? I'm going to take the gold-backed currency. And I'm going to tell Mary, go get you some gold-backed currency. So Pelosi and Adam Schmidt, Adam Schmidt, Adam um, Schiff and uh, Biden, they, they can print as much fiat currency as they want. It's the more they print, the more worthless it gets. And then before you know it, it's going to collapse anyway. It means they won't have any power. The deep state is done. They, 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 they're done. Their money, their power was their money and their ability to print. And they can print as much as they want now, but the more they print, the more worthless it gets. And the more worthless it gets, the less power they have. And and you want to watch some screeching and gnashing of teeth. Watch that deep state just collapse in upon itself. And that's going to be fun to watch. So your listeners need to be prepared for this because Pelosi's, Pelosi and um, Biden and them, they're going to keep printing money. So that means inflation for Americans is going to go up. So take some of that fiat currency if you got a couple extra bucks here or there and buy you some silver. Get you some, uh, um, I like JM Bullion, but there are other places to go. Camino Coin, Janda, that's one of Janda's sponsors. There's lots of coin companies. Go down to your local pawn shop. Buy you some junk silver, you know, the old U.S. silver from before uh, quarters and dimes from before 1964. Get you some junk silver. Plant you a garden. Be prepared for bad economic times because they are upon us right now. And and we will get through this because when the deep state loses their power to print money, they lose their power, and they'll be done. And um, and did you did you notice that the U.S. Treasury is moving out of Washington D.C.? Excellent. Yeah, they're moving to. Um, they're moving to a 104-acre piece in Maryland that used to be run by the U.S. Agriculture Agency. And that's where our new currency is going to be printed. And um, so I don't know if your, if your viewer, if your viewers, if your listeners, podcast listeners ever keep track of what's going on in Washington, D.C., but... The U.S. Treasury was surrounded by federal agents a little bit more than a year ago. U.S. Treasury is bust. They don't have any money. Have your have your listeners go back and do a little bit of historical digging, and they'll find out that President Lincoln bankrupted the country. They he declared the country bankrupt, and he he incorporated our country. He called it United States Inc. and he and he sold us out to England. In, in 1861 and so that company that u.s corporation united states inc it's bankrupt now the united states is still here 
right? All of us states are still here. But that corporation is bankrupt. And and that's the all the money printing that you see going on with Pelosi and Biden trying to, you know, get the U.S. Treasury to print up a, another $33 billion. Fine, whatever. We're going to be using... We're going to be using silver and we're going to be supporting our own economies in our own local areas. And those jerks in Washington, D.C. can just go jump in a lake for all I'm concerned. I had a little more pointed place where they could go, but keep it clean. Wouldn't that also explain why the January 6th prisoners are still prisoners? Because basically they're being held by a private organization and their own private prison? Yeah. Washington, if people will go and do their their research, they'll find out that Washington, D.C. is not part of the United States. It's its own separate territory. Don't you ever notice how um, how some of the bills that come up, they call it, they're, they're, they're titled um, the United States and Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. is not part of the United States. That was why that Washington, D.C. was a 10 by 10... 10 miles by 10 miles square. It's its own separate entity. It's its own, that's that's where United States Inc., that's, that's where it's located. And in fact, if you do some really good digging, you'll find out that um, Delaware is the state where the United States Inc. was incorporated. Delaware, the state where a lot of states are incorporated. Have you ever noticed how in Ohio you go through, you drive down through the back roads in Ohio and you come up on these little communities and it says, it says Smithville Incorporated. Go back and take a look. Each, um, in fact, I was listening to Paul Preston who's um, out in California and they did some digging into the California original founding documents and they found out that California bankrupted itself by 1879 and they reincorporated as California Inc. California government is a business. And I think if if your listeners will go dig, start digging, don't don't use Google, use Brave or some other um, trusted website that won't censor you. Go dig up and look at your own state and find out when your state was incorporated as a business. I know that Ohio's was. All of these states are listed as corporations in Delaware. That's why the, when you go to D.C., you are literally on foreign soil. So those people who got who got caught up in the January 6th, uh, I don't know, whatever was going on over there, I don't want to call it an insurrection because it wasn't, not not from a patriot side, but those people who got caught up and and snatched up by the FBI, they were on foreign soil. So, you know, not too surprising that they don't have any rights in a foreign country. (laughs) So what do you see happening this summer over the next few months here? Well, gas prices are going to keep going up. Um, Remember in the summer of 2008 when um, gas prices went up over four bucks and all of a sudden people found reasons to stay home and have staycations. We're going to have a lot of staycations. Um, campgrounds are going to make a bundle because it's going to be cheaper to stay at a campground. In fact, I've got a, 
um, a family member down in Alabama who has a friend whose family owns acreage and they're turning it into a campground. So, you know, there's, even in bad times, there's money to be made. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'd actually want to start a full-fledged business and sink a lot of money into it, but if you look around, you'll find a niche that you can fill to offer a product or a service relatively inexpensively that people will want to have. Like, I have a neighbor down the street who, who has chickens. She's going to be selling eggs. She's growing this huge garden. Oh, my God, I haven't seen a garden this big since I was a kid. And she's going to be selling vegetables. And I'm I'm sure that there are other people. I mean, I'm looking at my maple trees, and I'm kind of sizing them up and wondering, can I tap them in March next year and, and do maple syrup? <laughs> there you go. So, you know... Um, for the summer, though, I see I see rising prices everywhere. I also see a lot of good things that are coming. These these bad, wicked, evil people who are psychopaths and sociopaths that got selected into government, they're going to start falling. They're going to be keeling over like dominoes. And, and people are going to be waking up. Um, I'm doing some, I'm looking forward to summer. I've got some really cool research that I've, I'm just starting and maybe by the time we get to August or September, um, maybe I can present it on your platform. I make no promises because research is tedious, but this is really interesting stuff. And I'm diving back down into American history to discover, is there a way that we can, we Americans can correct the path that we're on and get to a better place? And I'm hoping that the past holds some answers for me. Absolutely. You most certainly have a platform here, no doubt about it. So so good stuff is coming. Hard times are too. But you know what? Um, my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents lived through the Great Depression, and they survived, all of them. And, and we will. All of our families did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So we can do this. It is... It, 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 is, it will be a time that will toughen us up and there's, there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit tough and stealing your resolve because not only is the times this summer and maybe even into next year going to be tough, but you know we've got other people that we need to be looking out for and, and loving around us. So it'll be all right. We'll make it. Um, nothing wrong with tough times. We've all been through them. Yeah, hopefully we just learn from it and do our best to not repeat it. There you go. Yeah, self-governance is hard. It, it means our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution were written for a moral, mature society. Um, our Constitution is not going to hold up if we are corrupt and immoral. And, um, and our founding fathers knew that, and that's why they leaned so heavily on, on the foundations of Christianity, because that, that to them was a moral code that had a solid basis in goodness and had, a, had, had results that nearly always turned out good for the majority. So we, what I see is that we are moving back to a more moral society 
a society that has a moral code of upstanding um, upstanding pillars that we and and tenets that we can follow and teach our children and grandchildren and so hopefully avoid this this corruptness that we see all around us and and we will we'll correct this it, it is God never gives us anything that he knows we cannot do now sometimes it's pretty tough but if he hands you something he knows you can do it so I know we can do this so what, what was that that our that our founders said relying on on the uh, divine providence we pledge our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor to make sure that our country comes through this Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.